We're going to read together uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 8. Will you read these words with me? Oh. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. And you must hurry. Come quickly. It's a leap of faith. Right. You must believe, boy. You must believe. We uh, are continuing our sermon series uh, called Taking the Next Steps, and today we're talking about uh, faith and what it means to be done according to our faith. And so I thought it'd be fun a little bit to uh, hear from Indiana Jones and Leap of Faith. Anybody big Indiana Jones fans? Yes, all of us are, right? Who's not an Indiana Jones fan? And uh, we come up to this scene, oh, one of us is. Uh, That's all right. Um, So uh, we come up to this scene of the Leap of Faith, and I watch that thing, and I'm like, how did he not know? Right? I mean, if you were standing there, surely you would see this thing, but apparently he doesn't, right? And and he, and he, you know, he's reading this passage, he said, well, I just, it's a leap of faith, and so he, he walks out and he does this thing. And again, we continue our sermon series called Taking the Next Steps. Uh, just a, a quick disclaimer, if you're a guest with us um, this morning, we want to welcome you, say how happy we are that you are here. Uh, you have found us uh, kind of in the middle of our sermon series on stewardship, on, on, on what it means to be a part of, the, of, of family. And uh, we are learning this week about what Christ has done for us and what we are invited to do in response uh, with everything that we have, and that includes our finances. So I want to say, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to let you know that we have no anticipation that you would uh, give here, that you're not committed, you you don't have that kind of relationship, and we completely understand that. Um, That most of the conversations that we have about money are about a family conversation. What does it mean for people who have committed to themselves that this is their church home? I do believe, though, that this sermon does have something for all of us. As we talk about our faith, as we talk about our faith, how in chance do we grow that? Uh, what do we do to actually grow our faith? And I think that applies to all of us. We are in the second week of our sermon series. Last week, uh, we talked about how the first step in our walk to follow Christ is gratitude. Is gratitude. And if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Uh, they're in your bulletin. It might help guide you uh, through this conversation. And our first step in our walk to follow Christ is gratitude. And we learned last week that uh, we can actually get a better night's rest if we spend 15 minutes before we go to bed writing down a list of things that we are thankful for. 
Uh, just 15 minutes before we go to bed, write down a list of things that we're thankful for, and we actually have a better night's rest, a better life if we are thankful, if we live this life of gratitude. So that's what we learned last week, and, and uh, today we learned that our second step in our walk to follow Christ is to continue to be faithful, to be faithful. And and, and, and if you hear those things, and you know, when I was growing up, and uh, I got to participate in a lot of different traditions. I grew up in a small United Methodist church, but we didn't have like a really big youth group. And uh, the really big youth group in my town was the Baptist youth group. And so I got to go there and meet a lot of great friends and a lot of, um, a, a lot of faithful people. But one of the things I heard when I was going to youth group was, you know, faith is just this thing. You either have it or you don't. You know, and, and you either have it or you don't. You either believe or you don't. And, and that's it. And that's final. And I thought, this, there, there's got to be there's got to be more to it than that. You know, there's, there's got to be more to it. And what I find is that there's a problem is that sometimes it can be difficult to be faithful. It can be really hard to be faithful. If you've ever experienced that, I want to share solidarity and that I know what that is to find times when it's difficult to be faithful in times of great tragedy, in times of disasters, in, in, in times of, you know, when bad things happen to good people, these are times that it's hard to be faithful. It's hard to be faithful. And I want to be able to say, you know, what? I, I understand I know what that is. And, 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 and if we've ever talked about tithing you know, or, or giving of our finances and saying, you know, there's, there's this part of it that is being faithful. There's part of this that, that because Christ has died for us, because he gave his entire life for us, we in turn are called to give back. To say there's no amount of money that we could ever earn that would, that would deserve our security, that would earn our own security for ourselves. And so here we are giving this portion back, giving this 10% back. And part of us says, well, that's really hard. It's really hard to be faithful. And, and I want to own that and say, I understand that. I understand that. But there is good news. That I don't think faith is just this thing whether you have it or you don't. In fact, I think the good news is that we can grow our faith. And we can take steps in order to grow our faith. That faith is just like everything else. The more we practice it, the more we have. Right? You know, like... Maybe it's like a muscle, and, and, and we know that, you know, if we, if we want to get a tremor stomach, all we got to do is do these things, work out in these ways, and then we will get it. And I think faith is the very same way, that all we have to do is practice these kind of things and look at people who are faithful and do what they do, and in turn, we can earn that, and we can do that for ourselves, that we can benefit ourselves in these kinds of ways. And I believe we have the possibility of doing it. You know, as we, as, we talk about, um, as we talk about our finances and what it means to be faithful in that, I remember uh, the first time that I, uh, that I ever saw my mom uh, write a check to put in the offering plate. Again, I grew up in the small Methodist church in, um, in, in northeastern Oklahoma, and I was sitting there in service one day and sitting next to her, and I saw her, uh, you know, write a check, and, and I knew that she was getting ready to put it in the offering plate. And as I saw her write the check, I don't really remember the amount on the check, but I remember that to my, like, six-year-old brain, it was a lot right? You know, which meant it was anywhere above $10, right? And so, uh, you know, I saw her write this check, and I said, we, we give that much to the church? And, and my mom said, yes, but we don't talk about it. You ever had that kind of conversation with your parents, you know? And it was like, it was like yes, but we don't talk about it. And, and, and when I heard that, I, I, like, this thing happened to me that I was, you know, I was, I was kind of proud that, that, you know, this is the way that we were supporting the church. But then, you know, there was also this kind of shame that was dealt in it as well, you know? And, and, and I was just like, oh, um, I don't know what to do with that, you know? And, and I thought, well, like, if we, if we support the church, then, then, you know, it's not something we would just lead with, but I think we would be proud of that. And, and here we were trying to be kind of quiet about it and, and discreet and, and not do it. And, and I don't think that's the way faith works, that I, I think faith is something that we talk about and that we share it with each other. And I think that's what happened with Centurion. 
I, I think this thing about faith is the centurion just had it on his sleeve. He just knew it. And if anybody was willing to talk to him about it, he was going to share it with them. That, that's what he believed. You know, we read about uh, the centurion in the Bible. And, you know, the centurion was a Roman soldier. And, and, and the key word in there is Roman, right? The centurion is not Jewish. And in fact, when he was coming up to meet Jesus, it was very obvious who he was. Right? And, and I wonder if in that moment the disciples, you know, were trying to like look away from him and trying to ignore him. You ever had that person that was like walking towards you and you knew they wanted to have a conversation with you, but you did not? You know, and so you do like everything you do to like kind of divert your eyes and just hope this conversation isn't going to happen. And, and, and so the centurion walks up to Jesus and, and all of the Jewish leaders and all the devout Jewish people were surrounding Jesus, didn't want this conversation to happen because this person was not Jewish. He was not on the inside. In fact, he was as far outside as you could be that he, in fact, worshipped another god uh, or perhaps many different gods. Uh, this was not a devout person, and here he was coming to Jesus. And he makes this request of him. We read about it just a little bit ago. He says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. In terrible distress. That here a centurion is, a Roman leader, somebody who's probably very wealthy, and here he is having compassion for his servant. And Jesus said, I will come and cure him. Some other translations pose that as Jesus asking a question, saying, will I come and cure him? Is that what you want from me? And the centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you under my roof. And the disciples say, yeah, that's right. You know, this is a Roman soldier. You shouldn't even be having this conversation with a Jewish leader. You, you shouldn't even be in this area. You're exactly right that Jesus, uh, that you are not worthy to have Jesus come under your roof. And he says, but only speak the word. Only speak the word and my servant will be healed. He says, for I'm a man of authority. I say, you know, go, and, and that one goes, and come, and that one comes, and so I say, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard him, he was amazed. He was amazed and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now Jesus saying these words is a slap in the face to every religious person surrounding Jesus. Right here, the centurion is this outsider, this person who doesn't even believe in the God that we worship, and in no one else have I found such faith. Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed. Here's part of the reason I think Jesus was amazed, that a centurion uh, was a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred soldiers. And the, sense the, 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 the Latin word that we get for a hundred, he was in charge of a hundred soldiers, a hundred people, and he had this kind of rule over them. He had this kind of rule where he could tell any of them go, and they would go, and one come, and he, had, he could tell them to do anything he wanted, and they would all do it for him. But here he was coming to Jesus and being obedient. Here he was being a leader of a hundred people and coming before Jesus and being obedient, believing that Jesus could do something that he could not. That I think there's some truth for us today, that being a leader can sometimes keep us from following. You know, if we ever want to gauge our wealth, if we want to gauge really how prosperous we actually are, we can look at how many decisions we get to make. How many decisions do you get to make in a day, just an, an average day? And, and just think about those, that you get to decide what you want to wear. Uh, you get to decide what you're going to eat that morning. You get to decide how you're going to get to work, and maybe, maybe even which car you're going to take into work. Uh, we get to decide maybe even what time we get into work and, and what time we're going to leave and what actually we're going to do when we get into work and who we're going to talk to and who we're not going to talk to and who we're going to eat with and whether we bring our lunch or whether we go out and get our lunch. And we get to make all of these decisions for ourselves. And people who are not so wealthy don't get to make as many decisions. 
And sometimes being a leader means that we get to make more decisions than most, and we get to make decisions for other people, right? We get to make decisions on what somebody else is going to do when they get into work. And, and, and we get to decide all these other things for other people. And sometimes that fact, that, that idea that we are so wealthy, that we get to make so many decisions for our own selves, can sometimes not necessarily benefit us when we come into church. And we come before the cross and we will say, I will be obedient to you, Lord. That what you tell me to do, I will do. Now, we haven't practiced that throughout the week. Why would we practice it on Sunday? Right, that sometimes, sometimes being a leader can keep us from following. But here the centurion was. He says, I'm in charge of a hundred people. And Lord, whatever you say will happen. And this thing amazed Jesus. This thing amazed Jesus. Uh, in fact, uh, the centurion was the only person who amazed Jesus in the Bible. It's the only time we read about it. You know, like maybe it had happened before, you know, maybe um, somebody had like told a joke to Jesus and it amazed him or whatever. We don't, if it happened, we don't read about it, right? And, and the centurion is the only person who amazed Jesus. And because he amazed him, because he amazed him, all these things started to happen. We continue reading in the Gospel of Matthew about what actually happened for the centurion. Jesus said, I, I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to, the, to, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. Now, I think it's important that Jesus said, let it be done according to your faith. I think that's, that's really important. Um. When I was in junior high and high school, I played sports, and I was a less-than-average athlete. Um, I, I, I was not very good at all, but, um, you know, I liked being a part of a team, and, and I just, you know, I liked, you know, running around and doing that kind of stuff, and so they let me hang out. Um, and in junior high, I was in basketball, and, and I had a coach, Coach Michael, and, and, and Coach Michael had us do these things, and, and maybe you remember these if you were in basketball. So in junior high, he'd say, you know, line up on the baseline. So we all line up on the baseline, and we'd run suicides. You guys remember suicides? Anybody? Yeah, we all remember suicides, right? So you'd, you'd run out to the free throw line, and then you'd run back, and you'd run to the half point line, and you'd run back, and you'd run out to the other free throw line, and you'd run back, and then you'd run out to the other baseline, and you'd run all the way back. Right? And then the last person, you know, had to do like push-ups or whatever just to keep you from being last. And, and so I was second from last, right? You know, you played that kind of game. And, uh, and so we would run suicides. We'd run maybe like two or three, you know, and we'd just be uh, huffing and puffing. And, and, then, and then we all knew what was coming next. What was going to happen is Coach Michael was going to pull somebody out to shoot a free throw. Right? He was going to pull one of us out to shoot a free throw, and if, we, if that person made it, you know, then the team didn't have to run suicides. And, and if that person missed it, then the team had to run suicides. And now this is a tactic coaches play, right? So that if you're going to be able to make a free throw under pressure, maybe if the game was riding on it, then you'd be used to that kind of pressure and all these things, right? So you know, we'd be huffing and puffing, and somebody would shoot a free throw, and they'd make it. You know, okay, okay, good. And, you know, and, and just sweat is like dripping off of all of us, you know, and it's just like huffing and puffing, and they walk over to me and say, Mr. Gnomes. Oh no, you know, it's like, okay, I gotta, okay, you know, pull it together. And, and, and I'd stand at that free throw line, and like nine times out of ten, I would just miss the free throw, right? And like, you know, the team would have to run suicides and all those things. And he kept picking me. Like, we would do this day after day, and time after time, he kept picking me. And, and it started to get into my brain that, like, maybe Coach Michael believes in me more than I believed in me. Do you ever have, do you mean, was ever anybody so fortunate to have somebody believe in them more than they believed in themselves? 
right? Coach Michael believed in me more than I believed in me. He believed that I could make this free throw more than I believed it myself. And the thing that started to happen is I started to believe that I could do it. I started to believe that I had the capacity, I had the ability, I had everything I needed to do this thing. And I wonder, I wonder if that's how Jesus felt about the centurion. That Jesus says, let it be done according to your faith. That I wonder if Jesus is saying, your faith is this, your expectation is this, and I will meet that. I, I will meet you there. I will do that thing because you believe in me so much. What if our faith was like that? What if we had this kind of faith where Jesus is saying, I will meet you there. I will meet that expectation because they are so high for me. That here's the thing, that faith is the thing that amazes Jesus because it honors God. It's a belief that God will do what God said he would do. And that honors God. And that honors God. Now, we get some misconceptions about faith. We think that, that faith is just believing that there is a God. And Jesus says, it's not, that's not faith. Even the demons believe in God and they shudder. He says, it's not what faith is. That, uh, faith uh, does not mean that you believe in God. It means that you trust in God. It means that you trust in God. Uh, I, I am married to my wife, uh, Melissa, and, and every once in a while, Melissa and I will go out and go do something, and, and uh, maybe we're going to crowd a place like a mall or something like that, and, and we do that thing, right, where we say, okay, I'm going to go and do this, and then I'm going to go and do this, and, and so, okay, okay we're going to meet back here at this time, right? So we pick a spot, we pick a time, we say, we're going to meet here at this time, and then maybe sometimes I get to that spot before she does, and maybe it's at the exact time that we said we were going to meet, and then she's not quite there at that time. And, and the thing is that I trust her. I trust that she's going to be back. I trust that she's going to meet me here at this time. And, and so I wait. Even if she's 5, 10, 15 minutes, I trust that she's going to show up, that she's going to arrive because she said she would. I have faith in my wife. I have faith in my spouse. Some of us don't have that kind of faith in God. That even 5, 10, 15 minutes, we, we just abandon all hope and say, you know, surely it's not God's gonna, not going to be here, but God said God would be here. God said God would arrive. It's to have trust in God. Back in the 1850s, there was a, a, a famous tightrope walker by the name of Charles Blondin. And uh, Charles Blondin was most famous for walking across the Niagara Falls several, many times, right? So we would t uh, stretch this, this tightrope across the Niagara Falls River and would walk from the United States to the Canada over and over again. And he would constantly do things to make it more difficult and to make this feat more amazing. And, and, and Charles Blondin did this over and over again. And, and every time he did it, a larger crowd gathered around him. And, and he would, again, do things that would just impress the crowd every time he got there. And, and he would continue to do this over and over again. He would draw larger and larger crowds until one time, and he drew such a big crowd both in the United States and Canada. And so he, he, he stretched this tightrope across the river, and he walked from one side to the other, and the crowd cheered. And then what he did is when, we, when he got to Canada, he didn't turn around, but he just walked backwards the entire way back across the river. And, and again, the crowd just went wild. The crowd cheered. And so he got uh, back over to the United States side, and he grabbed um, a wheelbarrow. He, he grabbed a wheelbarrow, and he grabbed it, and he walked over back to Canada, and, and the crowd cheered again, so he came back, and he walked back over to the United States, 
And, and, and when he got back to the United States, the, the crowd was going nuts. They were going insane. And he talked to the crowd and he says, how many of you believe that I can go back with this wheelbarrow back to Canada? And the crowd just cheered, you know, and just applauded and all these kind of things. And, and he says, how many of you believe that I can go back to the other side with somebody in the wheelbarrow? And everybody cheered and hollered and cried out and said, yes, you can do it. And he says, how many of you want to get in the wheelbarrow? silence (laughs) until one person spoke up Charles manager and he got in the wheelbarrow and he went to Canada and back to Canada and back he made it because there was something that the manager had that nobody else did. And that was a relationship with Charles. This manager had trust that Charles would do what he said he was going to do. They had this kind of relationship. And here's the thing about relationships. That we can't be in relationship with someone we do not sacrifice for. It just doesn't work that way. You know this if you're in a marriage, right? You know what sacrifice is. I think the same is true for God. That if our lives do not change because we believe in Christ, others are going to question whether we believe in Christ, right? If there aren't things that we do differently because we believe that Jesus has died and rose again, then, then what do we actually believe? If there's not things that we do differently with everything that we are, with our time, with our resources, with even our finances, If there's not things that we do differently, others are going to look at us and really wonder whether or not we believe in that thing. That we cannot be in relationship with someone we do not sacrifice for. And that's what faith is. The writer of Hebrews says this, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And and some people use this scripture to say, well, then you just got to believe in everything you can't see. And And that's not what this means. That's not what this means. The writer of Hebrews writes to a group of people who are already devoutly religious, who are already devoutly religious, and the writer says, listen, this faith thing is the assurance of things that we hope for, that Christ has died and been resurrected, and because we believe in that, the rest of these things will follow. And that's what we believe. That's what we believe. And as we talk about you know, what do we do with our finances? What, do we, what does it actually mean to give? Um, instead of me telling you uh, about that, I, I've, we've invited Mike Crandall, who's our administrative council chair, uh, to come on up and share his personal experience uh, and, and some of his uh, professional advice really about what it means to tithe and what it means to give. Will you help me welcome Mike up? Thank you. So... As they tweak my microphone, because I talk kind of loud, I realized that was pretty loud. So, um, Andy, thank you very much. And I want you to think about a couple of the words that Andy used in his sermon so far. Belief, faith, trust. Those are pretty powerful words and sacrifice and relationship. And um, so I, I want to start off and, and just make sure you know how I ended up here. Um, again, my name is Mike Crandall, and I am the Administrative Council Chairperson for those of you that are not familiar with what that means, that means kind of like chairman of the board. 
In a Methodist church, we have an administrative council, which is kind of a board of directors. That board has a chairperson, and I get the privilege and the honor of serving in that capacity, which, by the way, sounds way cooler than it is. Um, And I've been around the church for about 10 years now and have had the opportunity to do a lot of different things, and some of my things around my beliefs have changed, and that's kind of what they asked me to talk about. And a few of the things that I share, I promise you that you're probably going to defend against Because when we hear brand new information for the first time, our subconscious instinct is to defend against it. And so as I do this, I just want you to kind of open your minds and your hearts and and think about a couple of things that can be helpful to you. And as I do that, I really want you to think about your own steps in things. This sermon series that we're in is called Taking the Next Step, and for everybody that could mean something different. But to really grasp that, I'm going to kind of do a couple things. One, I'm going to share with you a little bit about some things you probably don't think about, and then I'm going to share with you my personal story. And I've got to be a little bit honest, this is a little bit awkward for me for two reasons. One, I speak in front of groups and audiences all across the country from dozens to tens of thousands, but it's never my church home, so it feels a little bit different. Two, of all of the sermons they could ask me to help with throughout the course of the year, I get to talk to people about their money. So lots of fun. But what I want you to do is I want you to think about beliefs. And you've got some note space in your handouts, and I encourage you to draw this graph that I'm gonna, or this graphic that I'm going to put up here for you. Most of us don't think about our thoughts. I want you to think about that statement. Most of us don't think about our thoughts. Our thoughts come from way deep inside our subconscious, and they start with beliefs. Now, those beliefs were put there very, very early in our lives around things that we often don't even understand. And what happens in our subconscious mind is that those beliefs lead us to make judgments. And this happens in a fraction of a second in our subconscious minds. So our beliefs lead us to make judgments. And what happens with that judgment is that it leads us to do something, either take some type of action or not. Take some type of action or not. And that action or non-action will lead us to some type of result that will reinforce our beliefs. So let me give you a quick example. If you do not believe, so you have a negative belief, that going to church will help you get closer to Christ, you're going to make a judgment to not go to church. You will not get closer to Christ, and that will reinforce your belief about it. I want you to think about another one. Andy talked about several things about money. Most of us were raised to have the belief that talking about money should not happen. Most of you, when you were kids, remember some message from mom and dad. I remember very clearly, I was probably about four years old, we went over to somebody's house, big fancy house, and I walked in, and mom, this is an awesome house. How much does a house like this cost? And I was told, shh, we don't talk about money like that. And then that ingrained inside of us. So I want you to share with you my beliefs about giving and generosity. So my mom grew up a minister's child. My grandfather, her father, was a Lutheran minister. And so when we lived close by, we went to church. It was a non-negotiable. And by the way, I didn't really enjoy church nearly the same way then as I do now. I didn't appreciate it for a multitude of different reasons. But here's my first beliefs of giving. I would sit in the congregation like all of you are, and the offering plate would come by, and my mom whose father was up on the chancel preaching, would say, it's time to give, and I'd watch my mom put a five or a ten in the offering plate. What do you think my belief about giving was? It's what I thought giving was. 
Now fast forward a whole bunch of years in my life, and we end up here at Acts 2 uh, about 10, 11 years ago, and I realized that there's some things missing in my life, and so we become members, and we go through Alpha, and then we end up in Disciple, and I'm pretty sure for the first time in my life, I hear the word tithe. And I remember sitting in Disciple, and I remember Mark leading it, and we talked about tithing, and my first belief was there is no way anybody can do that. I want you to think about that, and some of you are in that exact same seat I was in at one point in time, because my subconscious mind immediately defended against that brand new information. And I remember visiting with Mark, and Mark saying, there are people that do that. And we talked about it, and and fast forward a little bit more time, they asked me if I would consider serving on the administrative council. And I said, I'd I'd be honored. Uh, Some of the things in my background and what I do, and and, and they said, you'd be a great fit. But there's a challenge. Everybody in a leadership position is required to tithe. Why don't you think about what that did to my beliefs? So my family and I, we prayed about it, we talked about it, and, and we worked over time to go from a five or a ten in the plate to tithing. And I will share with you, that was a long, bumpy, rocky journey. It was not one morning we woke up. Because, by the way, to go from a five or a ten to a tithe, unless you only make $50 a week, is a pretty difficult jump for most people. But what happened is, is I was open to faith. And to maybe even use a point from Andy, I got in that wheelbarrow, not literally, my life changed. And what I would ask you to think about is you listen to the rest of the sermon today and you listen to Andy's action steps. What should that next step be for you? The sermon series is about taking the next step. Now for you, that doesn't necessarily mean to go to a tithe. Maybe it does. But maybe it's some step to get closer to that. And again, it is not an easy thing to do. But everybody in our leadership positions here do that. Because we believe that if we're going to make decisions for the church, we need to be committed and we need to be bought in. And by the way, for those of you that don't know, that's actually a little bit uncommon. I know a lot of people at other churches, they do not require their leadership to tithe, which I think is a little bit odd because if you're going to make decisions for the congregation as a board of directors, you need to be vested. You need to be bought in. So what I would ask you to really think about and to consider and to pray about is what should that next step be for you? And I know I speak for Andy and Creighton and Mark, but I'll also add myself and other people on the administrative council. If you want to visit with somebody about that, what that next step is, we're very happy to do that. I can't say that everybody on the administrative council would be happy to do that, but I know some of them would, and I'd be more than happy to do that for you if that's helpful to you. So I'm going to pass it back to Andy, and I'd really ask you to think about that and pray about that as Andy walks us through some action steps. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah. So as we look at what it means to be faithful and, and how we can take steps to grow our faith, what does that actually look like? Uh, I hope you'll uh, consider these. We'll consider the action steps really throughout this week and throughout the rest of our lives that we'll practice these things. One of the things I hope you'll do is to actually have a relationship with someone you want to emulate. Uh, look at people's lives. Look at their actions. And, and what are the things about somebody else 
uh, that you would want to mimic in your own life. Maybe, uh, like for me, if somebody was just an excellent dad, and I would say, you know what, you're just, you're just an awesome father. You're always patient. You know, y- your kids are just like really, really well-behaved and bright. And, and like, what does that mean? And how do you do that? And can, I, can we have like coffee maybe once a month or once a week or whatever it is? And I hope that you'll find somebody with qualities in themselves that you want to emulate. Maybe somebody is just crazy generous or, or, or maybe somebody is just really learned in the Bible and the, whatever it means, I hope that you'll find somebody with qualities that you want to emulate and that you'll create an intentional relationship with them. Also, I hope that you'll have a ministry that you're actually passionate about. Have a ministry that you're actually passionate about. If you don't like kids, don't serve in the children's ministry. Amen? Right? So have a ministry that you're passionate about. And if it's something around here, I want to celebrate that. Uh, This service, this stuff does not happen without people who are passionate about ministry. Right? We have people who are passionate about greeting, who are passionate about hospitality, who are passionate about making sure that, that everything we do is excellent, whether it's donuts or coffee or hot tea or whatever it is, that we have places here that people are actually passionate about ministry and they put those gifts to work here. Maybe that works for you or maybe you're passionate about Habitat for Humanity and you want to go build a house on Saturday morning. Or, or maybe that's serving at the food bank or whatever it is. I hope that you'll find a ministry that you're actually passionate about and that you'll pursue that that you'll do that. I also hope that you'll develop your private disciplines. Develop things that are privately, that develop your relationship with God. Some of those things look like, like study and devotional and reading Bible when, when nobody else is looking, right? That, that these are things that are private to me, and, and I hope that you'll develop those. Another one of those things is about what we give and about what we do, and I hope especially if you're a member of our family that you'll consider that. What does that mean for us? And, and if we're not at 10% yet, I hope that you'll consider prayerfully increasing the percentage of our income, right? It's not about a dollar amount, it's about a percentage. And, and what does that look like in our life? And some of us say, well, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm not at centurion level faith yet. You know, I'm not at centurion level belief that, that I don't know if I can really just like exceed and amaze Jesus and Je- have Jesus meet me where I am. And, and I want to say, I understand. I get that. And that's not everybody throughout the Bible. In fact, there's a story of a father who comes to Jesus uh, who, whose son is an epileptic. He, he has this disorder where he, where he convulses, and, and the father goes to Jesus, and he explains this to him. It's in the Gospel of Mark. He says this. Uh, he says, you know, he's having these convulsions, and Jesus says, well, how long has it been happening? And, and the father answers, from childhood. It's even cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said, if you are able... All things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. So maybe you're not at centurion level yet. Maybe you're at this father's level of saying, I believe. There's like, I'm like 50% there. And we might pray, Jesus, help me that other 50%. And we say, well, like, what does this look like? You know, like, what, is, what does giving actually look like? And I want to tell you, it, it looks like this. This is a team who just this last year went to Guatemala to help dig water wells for people in Guatemala. Uh, this is John and Jorge on the left, uh, members of our church community who felt so passionate about this ministry that they wanted to go and help dig this water well. And uh, Jorge came back from the trip in Guatemala, and he came back and he told me about it. He says, it was incredible. And he showed me all these pictures, and he showed me this picture of these two girls. And he said, the thing that happened is that these girls, while we were digging this water well, they came out and the teacher had them, and, and, and the teacher came up to me and asked me for some money. And I said, well, what is it for? And he said, these girls are thirsty. 
And they're so thirsty, in fact, that they can't really sit in class and learn anymore because they are so thirsty. He said, well, what do you do for that? And she said, well, we've got to take them to this kiosk. We've got to take them to this stand so that we can buy them clean water to drink out of these bags. Now, look at what happened. Because of the generosity of this church, there's a well now right next to this school. So in the past, where children were in class and so thirsty they could not learn, that if they didn't have any money, most of the time they were out of luck. Now there is a water well next to the school so that all they have to do is walk a few feet and get clean drinking water. That in the past where people have died from waterborne illnesses, now there is a well with clean drinking water to be able to provide people with life. Friends, this is what your generosity looks like.